Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. We're continuing in our Sunday morning series through the book of 1 Peter. Our scripture this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. We're going to be talking about gifts this morning in today's service. The title of the message is Stewards of Grace. Please enjoy. 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Uh, if you have your places in 1 Peter, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're just going to read two verses this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray one last time. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today and ask you to open our hearts to receive the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our service this morning and may we let the word of God come in our hearts and lives and change us for the better. Help us to come closer to you as Christians. For as this in Jesus Christ's precious name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, this is going to be kind of as opposed to a preaching service. I'll be, you know, I'm going to preach a little bit at you, but uh, you know, I'm... A lot of Bible study, too. I kind of want to go over this thing of gifts. Here in 1 Peter chapter 4, in these two verses, what these verses are telling us is they're telling us to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And, you know, I'll just tell you that I learned uh, around 13, 14 years old that God had called me to preach. Now, I say that humbly, that God has given me the gift of preaching. I, I, trust me, I'm, I'm humble about it. I'm not, definitely not God's gift of preaching. There are a lot of preachers that are better than me, okay? But uh, it is something the Lord has given me as a gift. And I didn't know that when I was called to preach at the age of 13, but as things went on, I started to see that the Lord did give me this particular gift. And uh, so, you know, I began to develop it in the Lord and the Holy Spirit gave it power. And uh, I do not have the gift of singing. I will sing up here when all of y'all sing at the same time. But when all of y'all are quiet, I'm going to get quiet up here. Okay, because you don't want me singing solo. Okay, uh, because, you know, one of, this, one of the things that I don't have is I don't have the gift of singing. I've got a friend. His name is Josh Westmoreland. And uh, I talk about him a lot. Me and him are really, really good friends. But he can do it all. Man, he can sing, he can preach, he can play the guitar, he can do all those things, you know. And uh, so, you know, some people have more gifts than others. But the thing is about gifts is it's not like you've got one gift and that's all you have. And it's not like you have two or three gifts and that's all you have. We all have access to all the gifts. All of them. We all have access to the gifts, but some are more predisposed to certain gifts than other people. 
that doesn't mean we all can't, you know, don't have access to all the gifts we do. To prove it, McKenna's going to come up and preach for about five minutes. We've talked about it. McKenna, you ready? No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, so, you know, we all have access to these gifts. But we, but we don't, but we're predisposed to certain gifts. That is true. So we're going to talk about our scripture this morning. Let's look at the first, uh, read verse 10. This is the first line. We're going to spend a lot of time on this first line of scripture before we move on to the rest of it. As every man hath received the gift. So let's stop right there. Now, this is the gift of the Holy Spirit. But along with the gift of the Holy Spirit comes other gifts. You know, we've had these gifts since we were born, but man, when we receive the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the power is given to those gifts. Um, and we've all received gifts from the Holy Spirit upon salvation and every last one of us. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we get power to these gifts that we're inborn with. And then we have a choice. We can either use those talents in service for the Lord, or we can bury those talents and not use them at all. And bury them and put them under the earth. And then when Jesus comes, he says, How, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? And all we can say then is, oh, we, we hid them, Lord. We buried them. We didn't use them. The Lord doesn't want us to do that. I told you earlier, you know, well, our gifts need to be earning dividends for Christ. And I told you earlier, you had your gift from the very beginning. Galatians 1, 15, through six, uh, 15 and 16 says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul says, look, I was prepared from the very beginning to preach to the Gentiles. That's what I was prepared to do. But when he got saved, he received power in that gift that he was born with. Now, no believer in here can say, I don't have a gift. None of you, none of us, none of us can say that we have not received a gift from the Spirit of God. God has given, like I said, we all have access to every gift. Don't think that you don't. You have access to every gift, but some people are more predisposed to certain gifts than other people. Uh, many places in the Bible talks about the gifts that we receive through the Holy Spirit. So if I was to stand up here and preach on all the gifts listed in the Bible, man, I'd be up here a while. I'd be up here a long time, so I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to focus on this morning is I'm going to focus on the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. So go ahead and turn there. You can keep your places in 1 Peter 4. But go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, look, this is not an exhaustive list of gifts. These, but these are basically the big ones, okay? And uh, most other gifts fall under the umbrella of these big gifts, okay? So these are the big gifts here, and most other gifts kind of fall under one of these umbrellas. 
Romans 12 has a similar list, but I think that 1 Corinthians 12 is a more comprehensive list, although it doesn't list everything. Uh, we're going to get started here in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understanding that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. I want us to be crystal clear uh, that he wants these gifts to be crystal clear to us, that uh, he wants these gifts to be clear to us so we'll depend on the inspired Word of God to to reveal them to us. This Bible is going to reveal these gifts to me and you. You may not know what gift you have yet. You may have, have never known. But the thing is, is that the Word of God can reveal to me and you the gifts that we have. So let's start back in verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Paul is telling us there are many different types of gifts, but there's one Spirit that distributes them all. So that's why we're all different and we all have different gifts. But what binds us together, what holds us together in the same family, in the same body, is we all have the same spirit. And it's that same spirit of God that distributes all of these gifts to us. Now, no two gifts are exactly the same. Uh, no two believers have exactly the same gifts. But these gifts are given to profit the church. So we're going to go through this list of gifts this morning and we're going to define them, what they are. There are a lot of people that say that, that the miraculous gifts aren't in the church anymore. We're going to talk about prophecy and knowledge and tongues. Oh, we're going to talk about tongues this morning. And uh, so we're going to get into this and we're going to discuss these this morning. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say. Look, I'm going to tell you this a little later. I've got it in my nose to say this later on, but I'm going to say it right now. I don't care what your grandpa said. I don't care what another, what pastor so-and-so cared. It doesn't even matter what I say. What matters is what does the Word of God say? What does the Scripture say? So let's jump right into it this morning. Verse 8, first part of verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. This gift of wisdom is vital for the church it's vital for the church because the church's foundation sits upon god's wisdom when people come to church they are seeking the wisdom of god that is why people come they're in a place in their life and they need the wisdom of god wisdom is clearly taught in the word of god Psalms 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. This is the gift that Solomon received. He received, he asked for the gift of wisdom and he received it from God. And 
with wisdom, Solomon was able to understand all these different situations that came up in his life. And of course, the fear, the, the fear of the Lord goes hand in hand with wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because there is no wisdom without obedience. If you don't obey, you are not wise. So that's where wisdom begins with obedience and fear. And, and uh, so if you obey the Lord and revere his laws and statutes, then you have this gift. You have wisdom. And then this also means that I have the ability in certain situations, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. Man, have you ever just, just been anticipating a situation or somebody's going through a hard time and you have no idea what you're going to say and you get there and you, you pray about it and you get there and you open your mouth and it just comes out and was exactly what they needed to hear? That's a gift of the wisdom of God. Now look, a lot of these gifts go hand in hand. Okay, you're going to see a lot of these gifts. They're not separate from each other. They all work in conjunction. They all work together. And so having the wisdom of God is the ability to sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. Take Stephen. Stephen was being martyred. Right before Stephen was stoned, he opened his mouth and he, the wisdom of God just came out of it. He had that gift because he obeyed God. We all have this gift. It's the wisdom of God. Uh, uh, verse 8, second part. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Now, this, some people, have you ever noticed that some people have the unique ability to just remember Scripture? I have to work really hard to remember scripture but there's some people that just reach back there and pull it out here it is but i have to work really hard i make siri work overtime when it comes to trying to remember that scripture um but you know some people just have an uncanny ability to do this and this allows them to have to have knowledge of god and his ways a person with this gift uh, the word of knowledge they have they have the ability to very quickly decide if this is the path of God or not. Something comes up and, you know, you're trying to understand which path you need to go. They've got the word of God in there. They've got the knowledge and they can call it up and decide, uh, you know, which path to go down. Some translations say the word of knowledge. Others say utterance. But, you know, either way, this person has the ability to know when to speak particular words know when not to, what words to speak. Like I said, a lot of these gifts, they go, they go hand in hand with each other. People that have this particular gift, word of knowledge, they make great teachers. They make great preachers, pastors, evangelists, deacons. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever went into a service and somebody was teaching or preaching or you're at a Bible study and you heard exactly what you needed to hear? Like they had that nugget ready for you, and it was like they almost even looked at you as they said it. Does that ever happen to you? Well, that's the gift of knowledge, okay? Um, this, is the, this is someone with the gift of knowledge. 
These gifts are real. These are not in the Bible to take up space. They do apply to us today. Don't think that they don't. People want to say these, that these gifts, oh, they're not applicable to the, they just don't have a powerful God like I have. Verse number nine, to another faith by the same spirit. The gift of having faith is especially amazing. Um, <clears throat> this is someone who has the ability to just exude confidence in any situation they're in. In any situation they're in, they just kind of exude confidence. They're the kind of person that says, when I talk about the church growing, they say, when the church grows, instead of saying, if the church grows. Because they just know what's going to happen. They have faith. They have, they have confidence. This person can trust God in all circumstances. Now, we all have this gift to some degree. We all do. But you know there are some people that just have it. Have it more. They just have it more. They have this special degree just to have, just to have faith. Think about the 12 disciples. You know, we give Peter a lot of guff because he sank that day. He stepped out on the water and he said, oh, he, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sing. We give him a lot of guff about that. But you notice he was the only one out on the water. Nobody else had enough faith to get out of the boat. So, you know, we need to maybe look down on them more than Peter because at least he was out there. He had enough faith to step out there. And you know some Peters. You know some Peters in your life. There was a 19th century preacher by the name of George Mueller. He ran orphanages uh, in England and other places. And he, he ran these orphanages and he was totally faith-based, these orphanages. One day, one morning before the kids got up, the staff came to Brother Mueller and said, Brother Mueller, we do not have any breakfast for the children. He said, set them out, set the plates out, set the silverware out. I thought he was crazy, but he was the boss and they did it. They brought the kids out and they put the plates out and they put the silverware out and they, everybody sat down in front of their plate and he said, now let's just pray. So they started praying. A few moments later, there was a knock at the door. A food wagon had broke down outside of the orphanage and he said, this food is going to spoil if nobody uses it, do y'all need it? And he said, yes, we do. They're serving the food and then the, the staff comes up to Brother Mueller and said, Brother Mueller, now there's nothing for the kids to drink. And he said, just sit and let's pray. They served the food and they sat and they, they prayed. A few moments later, there was another knock and it was a milk wagon. Hey, my wagon broke down right outside your orphanage. Um, I've got all this milk. It's going to go to waste. Do you need it? And all the kids got breakfast and all the, they got milk that morning. That is not a made-up story. I, I asked that as a well-documented story. It is true. Look it up. It really happened. Man, just to have faith. That's the kind of person you want praying for you. That's the kind of person, we all got people like that in our life. And that's the kind of person you, man, when you need prayer, you know who to call. 
I need somebody to pray for me. I know who I'm calling because I want them to pray for me. 9B, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit. Uh-oh, we're getting into Benny Hinn territory. All right, let's go for it. The gift of healing is a controversial one because a lot of faith healers have been exposed as frauds. Reporters have went undercover and they show how they, how they do it. And make no mistake about it, there are plenty of scam artists out there when it comes to healing, they, they, they exist. Um, this gift was very prominent in the early church because the early church, you understand, the early church needed to prove the power behind the name of Jesus. The early church is just getting started. It's just getting on the scene. They don't even have a Bible yet. There were thousands of Christians before there was one line of the Bible written. Okay? They didn't even have a Bible yet. So they needed these signs to prove the validity of the church. Now look, I am not saying that the, that the healing power of God is not with us today. It is. It hasn't went anywhere. People say it's gone. It is not. It is still here today. But the days of having somebody's shadow pass over you and you be instantly healed, those days are over. Those days are over. Because um, look, we don't have apostles. We don't have apostles. The early church had apostles. They had people who either were commissioned by Christ or had actually seen Jesus Christ. Those, those, were, you had, those were the two criteria for apostles. We don't have those anymore. We don't have apostles anymore. But look, even apostles, they couldn't heal everybody. Okay? They couldn't, Paul couldn't heal Timothy. Paul couldn't heal himself. Don't you think he would have healed himself with his thorn in the flesh before he asked God three times? You mean to tell me old Benny Hinn's got more power than Paul? Man. I just healed the Christian flag. Look, the apostles are gone. The apostles are not here today. So if the apostles aren't here to heal... How is healing work in the church? If the apostles aren't here to do it, how are we? Does the Bible tell us how healing works in the church today? It does in James 5.16. James 5.16, this tells us how healing works in our church today. Listen to this. Confess your faults one uh, to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the key to healing today, is prayer. Hey, healing didn't go anywhere. Prayer is how we get it done. The Bible says it. Prayer is the key today. But in any case, we cannot attribute healing to a person, even if they pray. It's not that person that prayed that healed. It's the Spirit of God. We have to give the Spirit of God credit because it is Him. It is not us. We are not the ones doing it. It is the Spirit of God. Verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. Now, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? A miracle is when the Holy Spirit decides to override the laws of nature, 
okay? Working in or through an available person. That, that is what a miracle is. A miracle is when the Holy Spirit decides to override the laws of nature. Now, this can go into healing. Like I said, a lot of these gifts, they go hand in hand. But a miracle is when someone overrides the laws of nature. And it can be healing, but it can be in other situations too. Um, look, the, the gifts of healing and the gifts of, of miracles, they work in tune with the gift of faith. Like all these gifts, they work together in conjunction with each other. Now, remember, I almost say this a lot. The early church had apostles. We do not have apostles. Uh, miracles are real. Miracles happen every single day. Every single day. Unexplained. Can't explain it. Don't have any excuse for it. Don't know why it happened. They are real and they happen every day. And the fact that you don't hear about it is just people trying to keep it quiet. Miracles are real. God's power is still real. And I believe this gift, even though it's, you know, the spirit that does it. But man, this gift, I think, can be attributed to, to like a prayer warrior. Like I said, we all have those people when we need prayer. We know who we're going to call on to pray for us. And, you know, some people are just just close to God and you know it. You know they're close to God and you want them praying for you. I've got a few people like that in my life. Just remember, anything that happens is attributed to the spirit of God and not to human beings. And of course, what is the greatest miracle? The greatest miracle today is when somebody comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle of God. John, 44, John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up to the last day. Man, that, that's the greatest miracle. When somebody turns from their sin and they repent from their old ways and they turn to faith in Jesus Christ, and he's going to raise them up on the last day. That's the greatest miracle. Again, in verse 10, to another prophecy. Let's talk about prophecy for a moment. Uh, this definition of prophecy that I'm using is this. The telling forth of God's message in a particular situation, always in accord with his word and his, and his current work. Sometimes this character... Sometimes this has the character of foretelling the future. Brother Brown, what are you doing? It said you're going to foretell the future. Confucius say no. Um, so uh, what are you saying? You're saying people can tell the future, Brother Brown? What's going on? What do you mean by prophecy? Well, let's talk about it. Uh, like I said from the beginning, there are people out there that believe that the miraculous gifts have left the church. And just to clarify, for the most part, I do not believe that the miraculous gifts have left the church. If anything, they've changed, but they are still here. These gifts, uh, these gifts uh, are, are still a part of the church. But as always, remember, we don't have apostles like the early church had. Uh, with this in mind, there are people today that see this word prophecy in the New Testament and they say, Oh, well, this just means preaching. This means good preaching. 
That's what prophecy means here. Oh, it just means, it means good preaching. That is a common thing to hear. Fortunately, when you study it, it isn't accurate. Okay, it isn't accurate when you study it. The Greek word for preach is caruso. And this means to proclaim. The word for prophecy here is prophata. And that Greek word means divinely inspired speech. That's what prophecy is. All it is, is divinely inspired speech. It may sound good to, uh, to define it as good preaching, but to say that's all it is is inaccurate because that's not all it is. Look, spirit-anointed preaching uh, will often use the spontaneous gift of prophecy, and a lot of times you don't even know it. You can have this gift and not know it. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. It's in the New Testament too much for it to be gone. It is still here. Look, many times prophecy is used to confirm something that somebody's already been told. Let's say God told you something. God gave you something. You feel it's from God, but you're not for sure. The Lord tell, you know, I think you're telling me to do this. And then you're talking to someone or you're here at a Bible study or you're listening to preaching and God just confirms what you heard so you know it's really from him. That's an example of, that's an example of prophecy. Divinely inspired speech. And prophecy, it, 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 can, it can cover a wide range of issues from giving someone counsel, encouragement, instruction, correction, and yes, even predicting future events. I said it. Y'all don't exile me too quickly, okay? Um, that's what it means. I, 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 I told you today, I am not going to take this Bible and give you what I think it says. I'm not going to take this Bible and give you what my pastor told me it said growing up. Tell you what my grandpa says it says. I care about what does the Bible say about the Bible. What does that book say? That's what I'm concerned with here. What does the Bible say? Now, have you ever had somebody say, well, you know, if you don't stop doing that, this is going to happen to you. And then it happened to you. Now you can say, oh, well, they were just using their common sense. Well, yeah. Or maybe God was speaking through them. It could just be as simple as that. You know, just as simple as that. And if you yield to God, if you yield yourself to him, from time to time, he will use you in this way. He will use you to speak to people. But you have to be yielded to him. And the Holy Spirit is going to come in you and is going to say, look, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, you need to do this. And, and it can, if it's coming from the Holy Spirit, you know, that, that, that's what it is. But always in confines from the Bible. The Holy Spirit is not going to tell you to say anything or do anything outside of this book. If it doesn't line up with this word, it is not God inspired. It's flesh inspired. It's Satan inspired. But it's not God inspired because this is the standard. And we don't need any more prophecy to add to this book. We're not supposed to add anything else to this book. We don't need to put 
you know, uh, you know, the book of uh, Stanley in here, because Stanley wrote another book, so we're going to add the book of Stanley to the Bible. The Bible is, is, it, it is what it is. This is our standard here. To another, the discerning of spirits. This is the next gift. This is the ability to, like I said, this is going to be more of a, a Bible study this morning. Uh, the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine. Okay? Um, between what is of the Holy Spirit and what is not. Um, Satan, he often appears as an angel of light. He appears as an angel of light. He deceives with a false, tempting message. And, and sometimes people who seem to say the right things, they're really saying it for the devil. They really are. The devil will try to infiltrate the church with false teachers how badly do we need the gift of discernment today? We need it. This person with this ability, this gift, can discern scriptures uh, that apply to the church and can tell if someone is honest and sincere or if they have an agenda. Do you remember when, when Peter was there and uh, Ananias and Sapphira came up and they had went to uh, uh, sell a portion uh, of, of their property and they were, they were going to sell it and give, a, give to the church, but they kept back a portion for themselves. And he, Peter went in there and he knew instantly that they were lying. Why? Because he had the gift of discernment. That was an example of that gift. That's what that gift is. Some of you out here, you can talk to people and you know if they're sincere or not. Others of us really can't tell and we get taken for a ride a lot. But some of you in here, you can talk to somebody and you, you know if they're telling the truth, if they're lying, you know if they're being sincere, if they're trying to get over on you, if they're trying to trick you. That is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of discernment. Now, Let's dive into the big one. Tongues. This is let's, so another to another diverse of tongues. Let's let's talk about tongues for a minute. This Bible study on tongues. The next gift is the ability to speak in different tongues. And this has been the most misunderstood gift of all. This is the most controversial gift, the most misunderstood gift. Now, let me say this. If you're in here today and you believe that modern tongues is an unknown angelic language, I'm asking you, please do not turn me off. Don't turn me off. Because <coughs> I promise you, I'm, I'm not going to give you my opinion without giving scripture to back it up. Like I said, I don't care what grandpa said, pastor so-and-so said, doesn't even matter what I say. What matters is, what does the Bible have to say about it? <clears throat> when we see the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there are many speaking in tongues. And uh, Paul wrote extensively about tongues between chapter, 1 Corinthians, between chapters 12 and chapters 14 in 1 Corinthians. But he was reproving tongues. He was rebuking the people that had the gift of tongues. You know, the Bible speaks more negatively about tongues than it does positively. Because all, all in 1 Corinthians, he's 
just telling people how they're misusing the gift. And what are people doing today? Still misusing the gift of tongues or misusing tongues and uh, perverting it, making it something that it's not. And this still goes on today, just like it did in Paul's day. But, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks a lot, a lot about tongues, and it can be confusing if you don't know what tongues is. If, you, if, you, if you're not sure what is meant by speaking in tongues. Now, there are many places in the Bible where it talks about so-and-so spoken tongues and so-and-so spoken tongues. It says that a lot. But did you know in the Bible there's only one place that actually explains what speaking in tongue actually is? And what I mean by that, there's only one place that explains to us what it sounds like. What does speaking in tongues sound like? Because that's the, that's the big question today. What is speaking in tongues? Is it, is it, is it the angelic language? Kawasaki, Yamaha, you know, I don't know how to do it. Uh, but, or is it, is it speaking in another language? I didn't know I could speak Spanish. And so, um, I just told you your mama's pants on fire. But anyway, um, so, uh, you know, what, what is it? The Bible tells us what tongues sounds like in Acts 2. It explains to us what other people hear when someone speaks in tongues. It's the only place in the Bible that does it. Let me read, start reading Acts 2. You don't have to turn to here if you don't want to, but I'm going to read some verses in Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll define that word utterance in just a minute. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. That's what tongues sounds like. It's not ununderstandable, indistinguishable kind of gibberish speak. That's not what it is. And the only place in the Bible that explains to us what tongues sound like says it sounds like other human languages. That's what to deny. That's what tongues is, is to deny the book. It's to deny Acts 2. It's a denial of Scripture. It is right there. So the first time in the Bible we ever have anybody speaking in tongues, they're speaking and other people are hearing them in their own language. And so that's the definition of tongues. So the rest of the book, when it talks about tongues, that's what it's talking about. Why in the world would they be talking here in Acts 2? They were speaking and other people were hearing them in their other language. Oh, but everywhere else in the Bible, it's an ununderstandable angelic language. Why is this different than the rest of the book? Let me ask you this. How do these lost men interpret anyway? I mean, if, if, if it really was the gift of tongues, how can a, these lost people, how can they interpret a, 
how could they have the Holy Spirit given gift to interpret this heavenly language if they were lost to begin with? How did they interpret it? In fact, the literal translation of tongues in the Greek is the word glossa. Glossa means languages. When it talks about in other tongues, it means other languages. And it's a known language. It's not an unknown language. People get hung up on this word utterance. Oh, the utterance. Utter it means they just uttered out just noises and sounds. You know what utterance means? Utterance means to enunciate plainly. Look it up in the Greek. That's what it says. Utterance in the Greek means to enunciate plainly. And I'm sorry, but the, the modern day tongues, there's nothing plain about it. There's no enunciation plainly about it. So with this in mind, we have this. Just, I got to spend more time on tongues and all the rest of these gifts because there's a lot of confusion out there. And there's some verses in the Bible that can throw you for a loop if you don't know what tongues is. So you talking about tongues and well, that's not what tongues are. Tongues is speaking another language. And then this person opens up. What about this verse here? And you read that verse. And you're like, hmm, let me uh, get back to you on that. And you kind of back away from this because, you, you know, you're, you're coming from their definition of tongues. And so these verses can confuse you if you don't know what is meant by speaking in tongues. So I want to go over two scriptures this morning that people get confused about. When they talk about tongues and the first one is first Corinthians 13 1 where it says though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal aha see brother Brett there is an angelic tongue there is an angelic language brother Brett isn't that what it says isn't that what it means well let me give you two fact let me give you two statements about this verse number one we have angels speak in the bible not one time in the whole bible where angels speak is in an ununderstandable language it's just not in every case in the bible they communicate in perfectly understandable languages there is not one shred of evidence in this book that shows that tongues is an unintelligible unintelligible incomprehensible sounds that come out there's there's nothing that supports that in this book number two this statement about tongues of angels in first corinthians 13 one it is a hyperbole you know what a hyperbole is here's a definition of a hyperbole and hyperbole is an exaggeration for emphasis sake it's designed paul is saying this to accentuate his argument Okay, he didn't. All right, uh, I'll give you another example. He wrote something similar in Galatians 1.18. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let me ask you a question. Was, what, was, was Paul actually suggesting that an angel is going to come down and start preaching a different gospel? No, he wasn't suggesting that. It was a hyperbole. It was a, for instance, it was just a point. He was, he was just saying this to get his point across and to, for, to get across emphasis on it. So look, Paul is, is not saying in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that if somebody spoke with the, the tongue of an angel, it's a different language. That's not what he's saying. He's saying here that if man 
could ascend to the height of an angel and speak to someone and plainly, he's talking about speaking plainly, and speak to them in a plain language, but he does it without love, then it will sound like noise. Any speech you give someone, no matter how eloquent it is, no matter how, man, when, you, when an angel spoke, man, thunder, man, you knew an angel was speaking to you, okay? Man, the angel spoke, they got your attention. But Paul is saying, look, even when an angel talks like that, when, when it's all powerful and thunder and lightning and, man, you're scared, if they don't do it with love, they're just making noise. They're just making noise. So if anything, this is, Paul is saying that the angels are speaking quite elegantly, but because there's no love behind it, it sounds like noise. Does that make a little more sense now? Now let me read for you another, this one other verse we're going to go to. It's a little confusing if you don't understand what tongues is. And it's 1 Corinthians 14 too. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Oh, see, Brother Brett? See what that says? Oh, it says that you speak in an unknown tongue. You're not speaking unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth. You're speaking the mysteries of God. This verse, let me tell you something about this verse here. This verse is not an exhortation of this. This is a condemnation. He's getting on to them right now. He's not telling them, okay, this is the standard. This is what you should be doing. He's saying, don't do this. This is wrong okay there were people in paul's day trying to abuse uh, this gift of tongues and that's what paul was referring to in this verse and this verse isn't a promotion of tongues it's a condemnation of it and in this particular circumstance what paul is saying is here is somebody would speak in tongues they had the gift they would speak in tongues in the church. There'd be nobody there to interpret it. Nobody would understand. The group would just hear noise. And since they couldn't comprehend the message, nothing would be revealed and it would remain a mystery. Okay? And, and, and that's what was going on here. And, and to that, let me jump right into the next gift, which is uh, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, this gift is someone who has able to interpret another tongue or language. You know, some people have a, kind of a natural-born ability to, uh, you know, to learn a foreign language. I've, not, I've tried before, and, you know, I'm not that good at it. But, um, but if, if, if anyone was speaking in tongues in the church, there absolutely had to be somebody there to understand it or interpret it, or they were to keep quiet. Okay? All they're doing when they were speaking in tongues, it means all that is is a supernatural ability to speak another language for the for the for, for the for the possibility of spreading the gospel. And I'll show you what that why that I'll show you a, a verse to back that up here in a second. But that's all it was. But people had this gift and they were using it in church, and people were looking around. Who's he talking to? What? Oh, he's just trying to show us that he can do it. It's a pride thing. And that's what Paul is condemning here. If there's no one to interpret, stay silent. Look, no, no, no more than one person in those churches, no more than one person could speak tongues at any given time because there was most of the times only one interpreter. 
And in the early church, they didn't all do it at the same time because that would be confusion. There'd be nobody there to interpret it. And God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of order. It would not be edifying to the church to have several people speaking in tongues all at once and nobody to interpret it. That does not edify the church. In fact, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Tongues weren't for believers. They weren't even supposed to be speaking tongues in the church in the first place. You had tongues to give people the gospel because they didn't have a Bible then. Let me read you a verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 21 through 22. In the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips. Uh, Will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Why did people have the gift of tongues? To lead other people to Christ. To share the gospel with someone. I mean, it's not like they had Rosetta Stone back then, okay? It's not like they had that. I've heard stories I've heard stories of missionaries going to foreign fields, running up on a, a wild tribe that nobody knew anything about, didn't understand the language, but yet that missionary was able to talk to them and speak to them and lead them to Jesus Christ. That is an example of the gift of tongues. That's what tongues is. It's a tool the early church used to... to uh, further the gospel. And Brother Brett, I said, Brother Brett, are you saying that tongues doesn't exist today? I I'm not even going to go that far, but I am going to say that it's not the modern tongues of today. It's the ability to speak another human language. That's what it is. That's what the gift of tongues are. The early church needed it more because they didn't have the word of God like we do. We have the completed Inerrant, infallible word of God. Did you know that this book is translated into more languages than any other book in the world? This book right here. So that's my, that's my teaching on tongues there. Let's, let's go back to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. So all of these gifts you have, all of these gifts, and I, I didn't cover all of the gifts. I promise you I didn't. And in fact, in a minute, I'm going to talk about a few more here in, in a minute. But all of these gifts and most of these gifts, you know, uh, other gifts that we have fall under the umbrella. Of these Why do we have these gifts? What's the point? What's the point of having access to all or some of these gifts? First Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Love will show itself through the church as a church family uses the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. Whatever gift you have, use that gift. And when we do, the Bible says we are to be good stewards of the gift that he's given us. Now, if you don't use that gift, and then you're not a good steward of what of the man. You know what the manifold grace is? The manifold grace is just all these multifaceted gifts that I've given you. Look, it's not, you know, some people preach you have one, two, maybe three gifts. Brother, sister, you have access to all the gifts. 
Yeah, that, you may be predisposed to one or two, but man, we've got access to all of them. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am, uh, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. Paul makes it clear that he is what he is by the grace of God. But at the same time, if the grace would have came to him and then him not use the grace of God, then it would have been a waste. It would have been in vain. Okay? When is the grace of God in vain? You know when it's in vain? It's in vain when the grace comes to you and never goes through you. If it comes, if grace, if all this grace, all this manifold, multifaceted, many avenues that he's given us to serve him, he's given us all these different options of grace to serve him. If that grace comes to us and stops, it is in vain. The grace must not only come to you, but it must work through you for it not to be in vain. We have to use these gifts. If we're a bad steward of a grace, that grace would come to us and we wouldn't use it to be wasted. That's why it's so important to find out what your gift is and use it. It's so important, whether it's the one I mentioned or whether it's gifts I didn't mention. Preachers, teachers, evangelists, administrations, mercy, forgiveness, prayer warrior, kindness. What is your gift? What is your gift? Find it. Use it in the church so his grace won't be a waste. Now, in verse 11, he has a special, he has a special instruction for people with speaking gifts in 1 Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth. Here in this verse, he's singling out the speaking gifts, okay? If you have a speaking gift, what he's saying is, look, don't speak like you're telling people like you're the final authority. When you speak, speak the word of God. Man, I have, this has really convicted me over the last year is getting out of this habit of re-preaching other people's standards and not digging in the Bible and getting them of my own. Man, so many times we just get used to preaching what we heard growing up and preaching what mama and daddy used to tell us instead of actually, what does the Bible have to say about it? Okay? And you speak to people, don't speak like, you know, like you're the one, like it's from you and from your authority. Whatever you say, you need to speak the oracles of God and make sure what you're saying fits the word of God. It's got to fit it. Verse 11, the final part, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is, this is an attitude of a steward. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Christian, you need to serve in church. You need to suffice you need to serve. Whether, whether you attend this church or you're visiting and you attend another church, that doesn't matter. What matters is at your church, you need to serve. We need to 
serve. We need to find the gift that he's given us and use it in service for the Lord. That grace doesn't need to come to you and stop. It needs to go through you to other people. If the grace comes to you and stops, it is in vain. It is a waste. You have to find a way for that grace to come out of you toward other people. And that's the point of my message this morning. And everybody's important. Don't think that you're just insignificant and I can't make a difference and there's nothing I can do because that is untrue. We're all part of a body. When the pinky toe hurts, the whole body hurts. There was a man who broke down his lawnmower. He had to rebuild it. He'd never done it before, but he watched a couple videos on it, so he thought he could do it. He broke down his lawnmower. He rebuilt it. And when he got done rebuilding it, he had one part left over. He went to the lawnmower and he cranked the lawnmower up and it ran fine. So he threw the part aside. He went out and he started mowing the grass and he got done mowing the grass and he went to brought it into his shed and he went to go turn it off and it wouldn't turn off because that was the kill switch that he forgot to put back on. Every part of the body of Christ is important. Find your gift, find your place, and start serving. Don't let grace be a waste. Don't let it just come to you. Let it work through you.